Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Well, guys, thank you so much for allowing me to be here with you today. Now, I know you don't know me, but I feel like I know you because I've watched you uh, online as well as I've known your pastor and his family for many years. You've heard about all the hunting stories, right? They come up every year. And man, I've seen Billy. I've seen Billy kill a bunch of elk in Colorado. And I've seen Bill chase, chase a lot of elk. Yes, in Colorado. And we've been going to the same place for so long uh, that the elk know Bill's truck. And so when they see him coming, they know we're safe for another week, right? (laughs) So we love the Ramseys and we love your guys' church family. I've been able to meet some of your staff, came up about a year ago and met some of your staff and uh, spent some time with them. So I very much uh, appreciate that and feel like I'm a part uh, of your ministry. And I do have a Texas connection. I actually graduated from East Texas Baptist University uh, in March. Oh, one person. Yes. One, two. All right, do I hear three? So uh, I had a great experience there and actually worked in Tyler, Texas as a camp counselor at Pine Cove uh, for a couple of summers. And that's where I uh, met my wife. She interviewed, oh, she was going, at LS, going to LSU and brought, came up to Tyler to counsel. I was in Missouri at the time, going to Bible college there and uh, went down and we met there and she couldn't keep her hands off me, so I ended up marrying her. You know, it's better to marry than to burn. I think the scripture says something like that. So, uh, but we've been together for over 30 years now and have uh, just a great relationship. And she's a wonderful lady, and I have an awesome family. I have a couple of girls that are now 26 and 22, uh, and one I'm with, have in ministry with me now. She's over our kids' church uh, at Fellowship. So, I have some Texas. Uh, Roots, even though I grew up in Colorado, and it is great to be back in town. Now, you have been talking about the subject of being rescued, and it's interesting because we just finished a series on the same subject, and so what we've learned together uh, in Colorado and in Texas is that God wants to be your ultimate rescuer, that he loves to rescue us, he has the power to rescue us, and has done that throughout all of our lives over and over again. If you think about how many things God has rescued you from, how many uh, car accidents, I mean, how many car accidents did he save you in, but how many car accidents did he keep you from? How many times he's rescued you financially? How many times he's rescued you in relationships? How many times God has come through for us in the past, and we developed this track record with him that is really incredible, but most of the time, we want God to come through for us sooner than he does. A lot of times he comes through for us and it's not in the way that we expect. And so there's times that we think that God should do something a certain way and it doesn't really turn out that way. But we have to know that we, he is gonna come through for us. And no matter what, God is going to be there for us. He wants to be there for us. It may not be the way we envisioned it, but God is our ultimate rescuer. And hope is on its way. We just can't lose hope that it's on its way. And while we wait, we have to have resilience. In fact, the wait is a major factor in the building of resilience, that wait time. 
Now, as I fly from Colorado to Dallas, and I've done that a whole lot, Rebecca still has a lot of family in Louisiana, and so uh, Dallas is always kind of the hub that we go to and then go from there uh, to Louisiana, or if I'm really lucky, we might go to the Caribbean or to Mexico, and, and so we do this flight a lot. And if you've ever done that flight, once you get into the state of Colorado, you can look out the window and you can see a huge part of the state. You can see all the mountains and, and how vast they are and how incredible they are. And it makes you kind of think, what would it have been like to discover these things, to discover these mountains? What it must have been like for the first explorers to see those mountains. And we can actually read about that, the history of it. In fact, you probably remember going through high school and, and reading about Lewis and Clark and how they set out to discover the Pacific Ocean or get to the Pacific Ocean coming from the east. Now, it took two years, mind you, to get to the Continental Divide. And they thought that, you know, they'd long be to the Pacific by then. But once they got to the Continental Divide, what they thought they would see is this big valley that would open up after you crest those mountains. And that would be a green, plush valley that would have the, the Columbia River in it. And they would be able to go down into that valley and put their canoes in and then just float right out into the Pacific. But if you've ever been to Colorado and you've ever traveled on I-70 from Denver towards Grand Junction and you go over Vail Pass, well, Vail Pass is the Continental Divide. When you get to the top of the Continental Divide, you don't, you don't look out and see this beautiful valley with a river in it. You see more mountains, mountain range after mountain range. I mean, they hadn't even got to Utah yet. They hadn't seen the Sierra Nevadas yet. They hadn't gone through California yet. Can you imagine how discouraging that must have been to get to that point and to see that you've only cleared one mountain range? That there's many more to see. Well, for, for many people, for many explorers, they would have just said, oh, I'm done. I had it. Two years, been long enough. I'm heading back east. I'm going home. But when you read the history of it, you see that these explorers were filled with excitement. They were filled with resolve. They were filled with resilience. And they were like, it doesn't matter what we face. It doesn't matter what we go through. We are not quitting. We are going to keep going until we get to the Pacific Ocean. Life is much the same way. We're going to face our own mountain ranges. We're going to get to a point in our life where we wonder, can I continue? Should I continue? And we're going to need to be more like these explorers than what our flesh would say. Because our flesh would say, let's just give up. Let's just move on. Let's try something else. But God wants you to continue on. It doesn't matter what mountain you face, and we've all faced them, right? Right? Mountains of, of financial discouragement. Maybe there was a bankruptcy. Maybe there was a foreclosure. Maybe there was a broken relationship or a betrayal. I mean, man, broken relationships and betrayal, they, they cut deep. Those things hurt. Or maybe a death in a family. Those are so hard to recover from. The loss of someone that we loved. Or maybe we've had the privilege and we've been lucky enough to experience all of those things. For me, one of the biggest mountain ranges I ever faced in my life was when I found out that my father had Alzheimer's. And for me and my dad, we had this awesome relationship. He was like my best friend. And so when he reached the age of uh, like 62, he was diagnosed. 
And immediately, as any family member does when you have a family, somebody you're close to get diagnosed with something like that, you jump on the internet, you start doing Google searches, you research, you know, what does this mean? What do we expect? And basically, we were in for about an eight-year decline to eventual death. And if you have a family member that has ever gone through that, you know that you kind of lose that family member twice. You lose them when they start to lose their mind, when they finally lose their mind, and then also when they physically die. And for me, man, that just, that broke me. It, that was such a hopeless situation. It was such, uh, it, was, it was like coming to this mountain range that you think, I, I can never get through this. I could never make it. I, can, I, I don't want to envision my life without my father. I don't want to envision him hurting and, and going through such a tragic, tragic illness. But yet God walked me through those mountains. Now, in 34 years of ministry, I've seen a lot of tragedy. I've done the funerals. I've been to the emergency rooms. I've sat in the courtrooms. I've been with families as they've gotten the bad news. And in all that time, I've noticed something about people in crisis. There are those that persevere in these situations, and then there are those that are crushed by them. There is resilience in some that is like Lewis and Clark and take challenges head on and know that they're going to be all right and others that allow the hurt to haunt them from the rest of their lives. There's some that say, I will never quit. I will never give up. I've come too far. I've experienced too much to be defeated now. These people have this resilient spirit and instead of looking at their situation and allowing it to defeat them, they instead look at it creatively and say, now how can I beat this? For many of us, we know the story of Viktor Frankl. He was a World War II, a survivor of a concentration camp, and he made it through all of these atrocities. And one of the things that he writes in his book is he says, no matter what my captors take away from me, they can't take away the freedom to choose my own attitude. Resilient people not only press forward to ultimate victory, but they also are better because they fought the fight. They're stronger, they're wiser, they're deeper, and become even more resilient for future challenges. So how do resilient people live in vital optimism? Over the last three decades, I've noticed that resilient people do certain things. They do certain things. Number one, Resilient people take responsibility for their hope. They take responsibility for the hope. Now, hope can be affected by how you're doing, how you're doing in life. And something that we teach at Fellowship is that we, we have three tanks, right? We have a physical tank, we have a spiritual tank, and we have an emotional tank. And to, uh, we will basically, those tanks will basically dictate how we are on any given day. If they're full, we're good. But if they're not, we can be susceptible to depression or a lack of hopelessness. Maybe we just don't want to try. Now, physical tank's pretty easy to understand. If your physical tank is low, it means you need more sleep. You need to eat better. Maybe you need to work out. That's how you fill it. You drain that physical tank by working too many hours, not doing anything fun in your life and making sure that you're not healthy and what you eat and how you are taking care of yourself. Then there's a spiritual tank. We get that one too. We understand that the spiritual tank is filled by spending time with the Lord, with prayer and in worship and going to church, being a part of a small group, studying, those kind of things. And when we don't do those things, it's a drain on the tank. It's the emotional tank that we miss. And the emotional tank is the tank that is filled with doing things that you love doing with people you love doing them with. 
You drain that tank by doing things you don't want to do with people you don't want to be with. And you know the difference, right? I mean, I do. I mean, I, there's certain people in my life that I can't wait to go over to their house and to have fun and to laugh. And then I know they are going to be filling my tank. And then there are those people that you go to their house and you're doing this the whole night. Is it too, is it too early to leave? Is it too early to go home? Or by doing obligatory activities. Man, obligatory activities will drain your tank quicker than others. So what you got to do is surround yourself with people you love that fill you up with activities that you enjoy being. Now, of course, there's always going to be things that we have to do we don't want to do, but we need to make sure that we monitor those tanks. Now, your ability to have hope can be directly affected, though, also by your physical or chemical issues. And I want to make sure anytime I talk about hope, anytime I talk about being positive or having a good attitude or all the, you know, don't be depressed, I want to make sure that I mention this because God made our bodies and they are very complex. And sometimes people have physical or biological problems that prevent them from choosing their own attitude. And I've seen individuals that have had chemical imbalances beat themselves up over and over about their attitude or lack of motivation. With, and in many times, it's just a medical condition that could be corrected. And I want to give you a personal example of this. So I told you about my wife. She's this incredible woman. I just love her so much. Uh, but she's been through some trials with this in her life. And in her early 20s, she had hyperthyroidism. Okay, so if you know anything about hyperthyroidism, you know that basically the thyroid is overactive and you have tons of energy, right? You just, tons of energy. And you were just ready to do things at all hours of the night, just ready to clean and ready to do, uh, you know, all kinds of, of different things. In fact, I remember uh, my, my daughter, of course, she's 22 now, just got diagnosed with the same thing. And she has a little Fitbit and she was sitting next to me and we were just talking. And I said, hey, babe, what, what's your heart rate at? And she looked at her Fitbit. It was a 141 and she was just sitting there. So that's what hyperthyroidism will do. And, and, and I tell you, I'd come home at night and I am just, I'm exhausted. And man, Rebecca is, Rebecca is just ready to clean the house. She would find new things to, uh, uh, to vacuum at midnight. That's the way she was. And she would have so much energy that she was up for any physical activity. And I mean, I mean any physical activity. <laughs> Those were good days. I really miss her thyroid. <laughs> now, the doctor said that if untreated, the thyroid would eventually burn itself out, and then she would experience the other extreme, hypothyroid, which will make a person function at the other extreme, tired, sluggish, depressed. So it didn't matter how many quiet times she would have, how much devotion she would have, because she had that radiated. And when they radiate it, it they have all kinds of issues with trying to figure out now, we're going to put our artificial thyroxine into her system to try to, to level her out. But understand, she would go from hyper to hypo, hyper to hypo. Really, really a lot of injury, no energy. And it was crazy. It was like living with two different people. Now, for a minority of people, this is the case. Sometimes it's something physical. Sometimes it's something metaphysical. Sometimes it's something that you just need to go to your doctor and say, this is the way I'm feeling. I have tried everything to fix it. Will you help me? And a lot of times, they'll find that there's an issue. If we, had never have done, if we, if we hadn't have done that for Rebecca, I, I can't even imagine where we would be now. Well, first of all, if you, if you are hyperthyroid and they never treat it, you can actually have a heart attack from it because your heart rate will 
will uh, go to, to such an extent that it just stops. But the point is, is, guys, find that out for yourself. You can't just fix everything with change in your attitude. Sometimes you need a little help. Now, regardless of where you are right now, we can all agree that people who live with a habit of hope live, happier life, live a happier life than those with a habit of despair. They live closer to God. They live a life that is full of more faith. They're, they're more likely to embrace today and hope for tomorrow. So, so you have to choose. Whether or not you received cranky genes from your parents doesn't matter. You are responsible for your own vital optimism. Now, a lot of us struggle with this because we're in the waiting game, right? Well, We'll have hope when. We'll be happy when. I'll, I'll be happy when I get the right job, when I make more money, when I get on my own, when I meet the right person. And some of us are waiting to be rescued. We're in a situation right now, we want to get out of it, but we're just like, okay, you know, maybe something will come along and somebody will help me. And it reminds me of that movie, the old movie Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Do you remember the old movie? Not the new one with Chris Hemsworth and, you know, Kristen Stewart and those, you know, that is not the real Snow White. The old Snow White, now for my kids, like I said, they're older, but when they were younger and they were coming up, we would buy all of the, the Disney classics on VHS. Okay, that's what we do. We'd get those and they'd watch them and they, they'd watch A Little Mermaid and they would, watch, uh, they would watch Beauty and the Beast. They would watch all these. And did you ever, have you ever brought your kids to Disneyland and your kids wanted to get the autograph of their favorite princess? Did you ever notice that? I remember standing in line for like an hour so my daughter can get the autograph of Ariel. And I'm like, you know, it's not really her, right? You, you get that. But that's kids, and especially little girls, and they love Disney princesses, they love them. And so I remember watching Snow White when I was a kid, and I didn't remember a whole lot about it, but I, I came through one day and I was watching them watch Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And I was thinking to myself as they watched that original that I, I don't know if I want my kids looking to her as a role model. I mean, here's a woman hiding from her stepmother because she feels helpless and afraid. She takes a job doing menial labor for seven short guys with some serious personality disorders because she thinks she can't find more meaningful work. And she's sitting around passively waiting to be rescued. And there's the famous scene where she's sitting at the wishing well and she's singing and then the wishing well sings back to her. Do you remember that scene? Yeah. I'm wishing, I'm wishing for the one I love to find me, to find me today, today. Woo. You don't have to worry about just trying out for your praise team, okay? That's just, I, Snow White, that's my one gig, that's all I can do. But that's what she's singing. And I want, I, I was looking at my girls, and I'm like, I don't want this for you. I want my girls to know to never do that. I want to tell them, if you're ever in that situation, confront your stepmother face to face. Tell her to come to grips with the aging process. Tell her you have no intentions of being the fall guy because of her neurotic insecurity about fading sexual attractiveness. So find a good therapist. That's what I want them to say. And tell the seven short guys to get a life. If they can't handle basic challenges of personal hygiene and housekeeping, they'll have to find some other codependent to enable their domestic passivity. And stop waiting. 
Stop waiting for your prince to come and rescue you. Build deep relationships, find meaningful work, take big risks, serve the poor, and when it comes time to choose a prince, let daddy decide. So when you face the Rockies, and you will, and some of you are facing them right now, there's a choice you will have to make. And we make those choices every day. It's a choice between hope and despair. It's a choice to truly trust that with the Lord, all things are possible. The second thing that I notice is that resilient people realize that failure is indispensable in the learning process. A ceramic teacher once divided his class into two groups. One half was graded totally on the quantity of their work, the other on the quality of their work. They only had to make one pot each, but it had to be really, really good ones. So the one just had to focus on the one, the other one could do as many as they want, and then they would present one pot. Well, when grading time came around, a really strange thing happened. All the quality pots came from the quantity group, even though that wasn't their aim. Apparently, the quantity group just kept turning out work. They made a lot of bad pots, but every time they would learn from their mistakes, there would, their work would get better and better until at the end, it was, a, it was really good. The quality group, on the other hand, was so paralyzed by the fear of failure that they just sat around theorizing about perfection. And in the end, they had nothing to show but ideas and one really bad pot. In the end, it was only people who were willing to experience and even embrace failure because they were willing to try and learn from failure. Only then were they able to transcend failure. And that's just life. Proverbs 24, 16 says, for though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Tomorrow, you're going to fail. The difference is how you're going to respond to that failure. Scripture says, when I am weak, he is strong. And I think that the scripture says that because the Lord knows that we're the most reliant on him when we're hurting. We're most reliant on him when we are crossing through those mountains, when we're facing adversity, and the Lord wants us reliant on him. Being reliant on him builds resilience in us. The third thing I saw is that resilient people regularly do reality checks relative to their hope. There's an old Calvary saying that goes, when your, house, when, your, when your horse dies, dismount and saddle another. Well, when your dream dies, sometimes you just need to dismount it and saddle another. Resiliency is not the same thing as living in denial or clinging to the past or foolish stubbornness. If you are still hanging on to your stock in DeLorean, probably should let it go. If you have boxes of eight-track tapes, because you know they're going to make a comeback, you probably should throw them away. If you're still waiting for that special guy in high school to ask you out, and it's your 50th reunion, <laughs> you got to let it go. That horse is dead. And there are times for hope adjustment. Now, you must come to the conclusion sometimes that that particular hope will not be realized. We have to re have reality checks, but we have to do this without losing our ultimate hope in God. Just because a dream hasn't happened doesn't mean it's gonna happen, but if it hasn't happened, maybe we need to ask, should it happen? Then finally, the fourth thing that I notice is that resilient people are masters at handling chronically negative people. 
You notice in the Bible that leaders were very selective about people they allowed to speak into their lives. They were very careful in choosing people to be in their inner circle or who was in that inner circle. Moses had Aaron and Joshua, but he had to be careful even with his own family members. I mean, Miriam turned on him. So that's the thing, guys. We have to be super careful. We have to, we have to evaluate our relationships at times, even if they are family. Just because you have a person that is blood-related to you doesn't mean that they need to be on your inner circle. Just because you've had a friend for years and you've known them since high school and that you have this history with them does not mean that they still need to be in your inner circle because people change. And a person can be really positive at some point in your life or some season, but then can turn negative later. And so we have to evaluate that. I mean, Saul had Samuel, David had Jonathan and Nathan, the wise kings had prophets, Jesus had Peter, James, and John, and Paul had a select few. And it's because they understood how negative people can affect your hope, how it can affect your resilience and your perseverance. Your perseverance. If you don't take anything else home this morning, take this home. The right words spoken by the right person can have the power to get you through the darkest storms in your life. The wrong words by the wrong person will cause you to get lost in the storm. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 14, seven, stay away from fools for you won't find knowledge on their lips. We have to guard our hearts from poor counsel. I mean, first of all, we need counsel. If you're making a decision, especially an important decision in your life, you need to be praying about it, of course, but you need to be talking to wise people that have been there before. Don't talk to foolish people. Don't, don't go to somebody about, uh, about a financial decision you're getting, uh, getting ready to make and their, their whole life financially is a mess. You know, choose someone that understands finances, that, that can help you, that has been there before. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The Apostle Paul's resilience, when you think about it, was really incredible. The things that he went through in his life and how he was able to stay strong to the end, it's mind-boggling. He writes about some of those things that he went through, some of those mountain ranges that he had to go through in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. The Bible says, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes, which was almost a death sentence every time. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. I'm not talking about the Colorado stoned. I'm talking about this like, I can say that because yeah, I'm from Colorado. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. And I faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but who are not. How many times have you been wounded by friendly fire? How many times have you trusted somebody and you think, well, they're a Christian, they're saved. I can trust them and they betray you. Those that betray us that are the closest to us, those are the ones that hurt the most. Verse 27, I've worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights, I've been hungry and thirsty and have, gotten, uh, have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. And yet this is the man who wrote these words. He's been through all that, but he writes, I can do all things in Christ who strengthened me. 
He writes, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He says in Philippians 3.12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Isn't it interesting that God can guide us through these mountain ranges and we're through them, but they're still affecting us? Things we've already gone through that are in our past, yet they still affect us. We're fighting and traveling through mountain ranges that are long since past. But Paul says, forget it, forget the past. Look to the future, look to what's ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Then he says in Philippians 4.4, always be full of joy in the Lord. And I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. We have to remember that, right? We have a hope and a future because Christ is coming. And because of his sacrifice, we have have a hope and a future. We have a hope and eternity. Thank God for that. I can't even imagine trying to go through life without that hope. Don't worry about anything, he says. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Some of us need some peace. The mountain ranges have taken it out of us. We're hurting. We're laying in a trauma center. Our emotions are a mess. And we need the soothing spirit to give us the peace that passes all understanding. And then he says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Focus on him and the peace will come. And these words, or many of these words, were all written while he was in prison after being wrongly accused. Isn't that incredible? So I wonder what it is this morning for you. What area of your life have you lost hope? It'll happen to all of us. I have one area in my life right now, and I'm just hanging on to that last bit of hope. Because I don't know if it's gonna get better. (laughs) I know God has a plan. I know that it's gonna be okay. But I've almost lost hope that it's gonna turn out the way I want it to turn out. And of course, the truth is it'll be better if it turns out the way God wants it to turn out. But we've all been there. So what I want you to do is I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to picture whatever that is. Picture that mountain range that you're facing right now. Maybe it's a lost job. Maybe it's your health. Maybe you have a child that is just running from you right now. And you don't know if they'll ever come back. They, they're, they're the prodigal. And you're, you're hoping they come back.
Maybe it's the death of a loved one that you just have not been able to get over yet. And I want you to picture that thing, whatever it was, whatever it is, and I want you just to visualize handing that over to Jesus. And I want you to tell him right now that you relinquish control. Lord, we relinquish control to whatever it is we've been trying to fix that we can't. We give it to you. We trust you. We don't trust ourselves. We trust you. Scripture says we're to, for us to cast our cares upon you. And so we're going to cast those cares. We're not going to reel them back in. We're not going to take control of them again. They're yours, God, because you're the only one that can fix them. And so we give them over to you completely. And we ask, Lord, that you would just do your thing, do your miracle. Do you, you're, you're the expert. You, you can turn crucifixions into resurrections. So do that in our situation right now. And I pray, Lord, that you would loose that in this room, that miraculous power. And we pray in Jesus' name right now that you bind up an evil spirit of despair or hopelessness or heaviness or depression. Just bind up any evil spirit that would come against us. Your word says that you will do warfare on our behalf. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do that. Give your angels charge over this situation. So we bind up those evil spirits that are messing with us, get them out of our life in Jesus' name, and I pray, Holy Spirit, you would loosen us hope. Loosen us your fruits, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control. I pray, Jesus, right now that you would be a lamp unto our feet, that we would know the things that we should do, the steps that we should take. Bind us to your wisdom that we would know every decision we should make. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you are the God of hope. We thank you, Lord, that you know every mountain we're gonna face and you already have the trailblaze for us to go through it with you by our side. Praise you for that. Thank you for giving us a hope and a future. Continue to heal us, continue to work on us, continue to always have the resilience you would want us to have in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.